truth, perspective, and growth. This is the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. And this is the world that Paul lived in. This is the world that the gospel message would explode into. And it should be no surprise that this is the world that was completely turned upside down by the message Paul would bring to the new church community springing forth in the land of the Roman Empire. Well, hey, this is the Discipleship Podcast. I'm Michael Carroll, your host and your friend as we navigate God's word together. And we're seeking to discover and define God's ultimate purpose for us in our lives, not only as the body of Christ in this church, but as individuals living our lives, reflecting God and his value and wisdom into the world around us. We believe that the Word of God is completely inspired, invaluable, and alive and active in your own life. And it's my prayer that as you commit time to learning and growing in your knowledge of God, that your own life will be transformed and you will mature and grow into the person that God created you to be. So thank you for your commitment to growing and learning. These brief moments that we have together are investments into your own journey, and I appreciate and value your own commitment to growing spiritually. I just have a couple things I want to mention before we get into episode three of Who is Paul? I hope you're excited about that, by the way. Ladies, September 20th and 21st, mark your calendars. We are hosting our annual Brave Conference right here in Tampa, Florida at City Life Church. We have incredible speakers lined up, and of course, our very own City Life Worship will be leading us throughout the conference. We believe that there will be a move of God right here at Brave and that lives will be transformed and changed forever. If you have a friend who needs to experience the love of Jesus, this is the time and day to bring them with you. So mark your calendars. That's Friday and Saturday, September 20th and 21st. You can register online at braveconference.cc or follow Brave Conference on social media at Brave Tampa. Also, mark your calendars again because November 8th and 9th at the Bradenton Convention Center, we are putting on the More Than Words Conference. My good, uh, my good dear friend Gus Cabrera and his wife Je- uh, Jess. The founders of this conference will be hosting, and this year we have Louis Giglio, Bethel Music, Sammy Rodriguez, Dr. Sammy Rodriguez, Jesus Culture, Carl Lentz, KB, and more. I'll be there as well, so make sure you come out, say hi. We would love to connect with you. You can register online. Just Google More Than Words Conference or follow us on social media at More Than Words Conference. This is going to be an amazing event, and you don't want to miss it, so please, please come out. We would love to see you. Well, that's it for my announcements. I do want to ask you one thing before we get into the show. A lot of you have been reaching out to me and letting me know how much the show's been helping you, and I just want to personally thank each one of you for that. I may not be able to respond to everyone, but I'm so grateful for all of your words. I do read the emails, the messages, and posts about the show. And let me tell you, I love to hear the feedback because I really do. I get excited to hear what God is doing in each one of you through the show. Uh, so thank you. That that being said, though, I do want to ask you, uh, for all of those who are faithful listeners of mine, to do me a huge favor. If you do listen to the show regularly and it has been helping you in your own walk, do me a favor. Take a second today. It just takes about five seconds. Go to your app, rate and review the show 
five stars only, please. Come on, don't be giving me no one stars now. But go to go to your app, take about five seconds, rate and review the show because seriously, this helps me more than you may know. It takes a lot of time and energy to put the show together and most of the energy is spent in studying and, and preparing the content to present to you. And the time is spent because I do believe God is going to use it. I believe in the show and I believe that as he already has been using this, he'll continue to spread his word to others who are looking to grow spiritually. So by rating and reviewing the show, as well as sharing it with your friends and family in your own lives, this helps get the word out and more people can discover the show and prayerfully seek to grow themselves. Listen, guys, it's all about reaching people. It's all about influencing the world. And I believe 100% in that mission. And I want to invite you into that mission with me. And that's one of the ways you can do that by rating or reviewing the show. So please, I appreciate you. Thank you for all your support. And with all of that being said, let's just get into this week's show. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your unending grace and provision in our lives, God. And I ask you that you open our hearts and minds by the power of your spirit to receive revelation from you. Without your guidance, Lord, we are blind. But with your leadership in our life, through your Holy Spirit, blind eyes are opened, deaf ears are unmuted, and when we receive from you, our lives are forever changed. So God, we ask in Jesus' name for you to lead and guide us as we receive from you. Amen. So this is episode three of Who is Paul? I hope you've been enjoying this series. We've been on a mission to understand the character and mindset of the Apostle Paul. In order to better understand his writings in context, in context excuse me, and prayerfully receive correctly what is written in his epistles to the early church. Much of the scripture in his epistles has been so impactful on Christian living throughout the centuries. And I know personally how important his letters have been to my own growth. But with anything in the Bible, we have to read from context to interpret correctly. And last week we ended with Paul and Barnabas taking an offering to the Jerusalem church. Now, the amazing thing about this moment in Paul's ministry was that he had just spent the past year witnessing firsthand the work of the gospel message in the lives of one of the very first multicultural, multiracial Christian churches to be birthed from the work of the Holy Spirit in the outpouring of Acts 2. Paul and Barnabas were positioned in Antioch to teach and lead this young community, and they were learning themselves as they led what it took to keep these communities united and moving forward. Yet as Paul and Barnabas gathered an offering together to bring to the Jerusalem church who was about to experience famine, that they were unknowingly about to be launched into a political, social, and cultural whirlwind as they would navigate all of the different dynamics this new way of living and being human would bring in the culture and political climate of the first century. And to add to all of that, they were bringing a friend with them. Titus, who was not even a Jew, he had not even been circumcised, but yet was being recognized as being a complete and true member of the family, the family of Abraham. And it's yet to be seen at this point from their perspective how all of this is going to be received. So as they travel on their way to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas must have been reflecting upon the conversations they may be having with their brothers and sisters as they travel into this holy land with their newly transformed Gentile brother. 
Now, when they get there, as had been hoped for, uh, Peter, James, and John were happy to hear about all of the work of the gospel and the Gentiles uh, back in Antioch. This was celebrated. But yet when others had noticed that Paul and Barnabas were bringing Titus around and expecting him to have the same fellowship and eating at the same table with them, some of them were horrified. Now stop for a moment before you judge this from your own cultural perspective. It's easy for us to read the New Testament and look at the Pharisees and look at the Jewish leaders and be like, man, what's wrong with them? Why don't they want other people in the family? How come they're acting so strict and how come they're acting so you know crazy? And we judge it from our own cultural perspective and we're not able to correctly interpret what's going on. Because from their perspective in the first century, Israel had a long line of hi- uh, uh, of history of rebellion and apostasy. Their own rebellion and straying from God's word and intermarrying with the pagan nations around them were the very reasons that their own ancestors had been overtaken by other armies, conquered by other kings, and entrapped and enslaved in exile. In fact, it was their very own great-great-grandparents who had been the ones to cause their people to be carried off in exile into Babylon because they had mixed their lives with the pagans around them and not remained loyal to the Torah and God's commands. And here they were as a nation hundreds of years later, still praying and hoping for God to restore their nation and to defeat the pagan empires that had kept them in oppression. Many of them could would still be awaiting for Jesus to return and finish establishing his kingdom and overthrowing the Roman Empire. So to think that God would accomplish all of this while the people of God continued to break tradition and fellowship with the pagan idolaters, this was unthinkable. If these people wanted to be a part of the family of Abraham, they had to do what any Jew had to do in those days, and that was to get circumcised. That was the sign of loyalty towards God, and that was the sign that you were identified as a child of Abraham. Now, Paul and Barnabas at this point absolutely did not agree or allow Titus to get circumcised, no matter how hard these Jews pressured it. Titus just wasn't going to get circumcised. And they didn't choose this stance because of the pain or discomfort it would have caused Titus. They took this stance because it's a theological principle that was crucial for the church to be built upon. Paul would use a phrase in his letter to the Galatians a little bit later as he relived this moment that actually gives us insight into what his mind was thinking when all of this was taking place. We read this in in the beginning of Galatians that yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. He's reflecting upon this moment. This matter arose of Titus being pressured to be circumcised because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. That's a key word, freedom right there. And to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, there's a key term here that is important to understand what was driving Paul and how his perspective and revelation of the gospel that was given to him from Jesus forever shaped the future of the church. When Paul said he was defending the freedom of God's people, this was a term that any Jew would have instantly connected to. Freedom was what they had been praying for. 
Freedom was what they had been believing for. This was Passover language. When Israel was slaves in Egypt, they had been bound and entrapped by the dark oppression of Pharaoh and his taskmasters. But when God rescued them, freeing them from captivity, they walked into the promised land as a free nation, a people identified and marked by God. The Bible would go on to reveal that there was a darker force working behind the scenes that had kept Israel enslaved. And as the Old Testament closed with the minor prophets, we would see the setting that Israel was consistently living through. No matter if they were physically in chains to their enemies, like in Babylon, or free in their own land, spiritually they had been oppressed and enslaved to sin from the beginning. No matter how hard they tried, they would continue to fall into idolatry and the powers of sin that ruled the world. They needed to be rescued in a new way. In other words, they needed a new exodus. And that is exactly what happened at the cross. The blood of Jesus, once and for all, conquered the powers of sin and death, removed the chains of bondage from God's people, and now they were completely free to be human, to be alive, and to worship God. Also, now their new identity was marked by an inner circumcision, which was expressed by the Greek word pistis, which means loyalty and faithfulness. This is the word that all of our uh, words in the New Testament of faith derives from. In other words, it was their faith, it was their loyalty towards God that was their new circumcision. That was their identity as the family of Abraham, faithfulness and loyalty towards God. Anything that challenged this newfound, this new purchased freedom from Jesus was seen by Paul as slavery. In other words, he was, he was seeing these Jews as trying to force them back into Egypt, trying to force them back into slavery when they had been rescued by God. These Jews who were challenging Titus to get circumcised, if he wanted to fellowship as a child of Abraham, were trying to put new chains on them. They were trying to bring them back into slavery. Now, Paul adamantly opposed this because he passionately believed that a new age was launched at the cross. And in order for the covenant promise of Genesis 12 and 15 to be fulfilled, all the nations of the world had to be brought into the family of God. Because the very powers that had enslaved the pagan nations for the history of Israel had now been defeated. They were no longer a threat to the people of God. And now these pagans were free to walk out of the doors of their own prison cells and into the doors of God's kingdom. Restoring Genesis 1.28, a humanity living with God. Freely able to be human and worship God as a son or daughter. There was no need to be circumcised anymore because now they were transformed from the inside. And the outflow of this transformation was their pistis, their faith, their loyalty, their faithfulness towards Jesus, the king of the universe. After taking a stance, it is seen in Paul's letter to the Galatians that the pillars of the Jerusalem church, they had actually agreed with Paul and Barnabas. They agreed with their stance and they sent them out to continue working with the Gentiles while they themselves remained in Jerusalem to work with the Jews. Now, this would prove to become more complicated as time would go on, but for now, it appeared to be a major influence and moment in the young apostle's life. 
And we can imagine that this moment, this tension, as they brought the, the offering to Jerusalem, as they, they delivered the money and, and had this moment with Titus of defending him and his his need to stay uncircumcised, that this moment uh, sparked something within Paul. Because it wasn't shortly thereafter, as they would return to Antioch, that they would then sail off west to the land of Galatia and visit some of the more prominent pagan cities that were actually identified as Roman colonies. This surely was a targeted route for a mass amount of people who saw Caesar as Lord and not Jesus, but get this, also who had previously lived in the oppression of sin and idolatry from false gods. We will see quickly just how dangerous and spiritually active things get when you when Paul began to claim the enemy's territory. And by enemy, I'm not referring to Caesar, but the dark forces ruling behind Caesar, the ones that were overthrown at the cross. Because although they had been defeated, it doesn't mean that they don't fight Pat. And, and Paul would soon uh, come to witness firsthand that these powers do fight back. They do push back. And has anybody experienced in their own life As you try to walk out the victory of God, as you try to walk out the victory God accomplished in your life, that you get pushed back as well. Well, we see in the life of the Apostle Paul this very thing. So with this new and fresh perspective, revelation slash revelation on God's victory, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well, Paul had been driven to be a messenger of freedom. All the men and women who were enslaved to the idols of the Roman Empire needed to know that they were free to walk out of their chains. Even more importantly, there was a new king, and it wasn't Caesar, it was Jesus. And so Paul set off with Barnabas and a new travel companion, which is John Mark, who is Peter and Barnabas' relative. And they, they set out on what would be Paul's first missionary journey going from city to city. Now, they would make a rotating journey. They would go from Cyprus, which was west of Antioch, and throughout the southern parts of Galatia, which is modern Turkey, north of Cyprus. And then they would circle back down through and then across the Mediterranean back to Antioch. Along the way on this journey, Paul would be stoned. He would be beaten. He would be persecuted. He would be challenged by Jewish leaders for this new message of inclusion and freedom. And this was the first time that Paul would face these sort of challenges. The very zeal he had been so consumed with seemed to be directed and aimed back towards, by, towards him by his Jewish brothers. But no matter the resistance, the amazing fact that kept Paul going was that the gospel message was working. He was seeing it active no matter the resistance he faced, no matter the persecution that would come his way. The gospel was miraculously transforming the lives of people who were once enslaved by idolatry and sexual sin and bondage. These were things that just couldn't be denied. Another important key fact to observe is that Paul was not randomly going from city to city. Although sometimes when you read Acts, you may begin to think that he's just going from city to city, traveling wherever he goes, just seeing who would take him in. Rather, if you really look at the history of the cities that he was traveling to, each city that we see Paul visit on his first journey was an important Roman colony with very significant Roman influence and population. This incense can be seen as a a royal announcement. He was in a way going throughout the key cities that the Roman Empire had set up as marking points in their empire. And Paul was announcing that there was a new king and it wasn't Caesar. 
And when you see this journey from this perspective, maybe you'll begin to understand why Paul gets himself into so much trouble and why he seems to be getting attacked from both sides, from Jews and Gentiles. Both sides seem to be offended with what's going on with Paul's new message of freedom. But yet, little did Paul know what was going to happen next. And it's at this point that I want to stop for a second and point out something. This is why it's important for us to read Acts and Paul's letters in context. Because modern culture has shifted our perspective of Christianity as simply being another religion. And we can worship in our own private space and read our own devotionals in our house alone, but not really be impacted by how we view the rest of the world or how the rest of the world views us. But this is not at all how it was for Paul. The gospel was not just a religious thing, but it was a social thing. It was a political thing. It was an economic thing. Here's why I say this. This message infiltrated into all areas of first century life. The Jews at this point had a very sensitive relationship with the Roman Empire. Throughout the Roman Empire, the people of their cities were expected to go out and worship all of the Pantheon, which was the host of gods, all of the Roman gods, including Caesar. They were all seen as being vital to the success and the wealth and the provision of their cities. If the gods were not happy, then it was widely believed of the people at this time that the people of those cities would be punished. So at this time, famines, droughts, diseases, and all of these other things were seen as being the result of the gods not being happy with the people they were over. So when the people of these Roman cities and colonies would worship these gods and have these festivals for all of the gods of their nation, this was seen as being for the good of everyone who lived in these cities. So you would be seen as being a good citizen who cared for the people when you went to these festivals and worshiped the gods. You were doing your part. No wonder the Jews were hated so much. Because centuries before, the Jewish leaders had struck a deal with Caesar. And as the Romans took over the lands that the Jews were living in, they quickly realized that these Jews were not going to play along with their festivals and worship their gods. And in order to avoid the annoying frustration and time and energy of having to force them into this, they gave them permission to not go to the festivals. And in return for this permission to be excused from worshiping their gods, the Jews would pray for their leaders rather than to their leaders. And so with a very sensitive and somewhat uh, quote-unquote shaky of an agreement, the Jews breathed a sigh of relief. And they could move forward with a deep appreciation for this liberty that was granted to them by Caesar. It could have been different. They could have been forced into idolatry. So when Paul was launching out into these Roman colonies, proclaiming that there's a new king and that it isn't Caesar, but it's Jesus, we can see how the Romans might feel about that. Even further, when these Gentiles were being converted and would quickly learn that they no longer should worship the idols, but they they should worship King Jesus alone, then they would stop showing up to these festivals. And sooner or later, people would begin to notice that certain people were no longer coming to the festivals, and they would want to inquire the reason why. Well, it wouldn't take long to discover that this strange new branch of belief that could be connected to the scriptures of the Jews was the reason why Roman Gentiles themselves were no longer worshiping the gods of the land. Now, two things are at stake here. 
in the eyes of the Romans, the well-being of the land is now in danger because surely the gods are going to be mad that the people are no longer worshiping them. And in the eyes of the Jews, their highly valued permission to be excused from all of this national idolatry was now in danger because the Romans were going to come to question them about what's going on with all of these people who are claiming to have been saved by Israel's Messiah. And to take it even further, these new believers weren't even getting circumcised. So in the eyes of both the Romans and the Jews, they aren't even legitimate Jewish people. So how can they be excused from this idolatry? There's no wonder pressure started to arise so quickly for these new converts to hurry up and get circumcised before the social and political balances of the land were thrown completely out of whack. And this is the world that Paul lived in. This is the world that the gospel message would explode into. And it should be no surprise that this is the world that was completely turned upside down by the message Paul would bring to the new church community springing forth in the land of the Roman Empire. Jesus truly had overcome the dark powers of these false gods. And there was a new king on the throne, but it wasn't Caesar. It was Jesus. And Paul had envisioned the reality of what this meant. He would write later in his letter to the Ephesians, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The forgiveness of sins in Paul's message was not just about moral performance, but it was about new exodus, the chains of oppression that sin and idolatry hooked onto the people of the world were snapped off by the blood of Jesus. So when people came into the family by faith in Jesus, their sins were removed, the power of sin was removed, and they were now free to worship God and learn how to be truly human. This was a new way of life and it was definitely something the world had never seen before. It was a revolution and Paul tracked this revolution all the way back to that moment at the cross when Jesus' blood overcame the darkest, most fierce opposition and launched a new age, a new creation. And are we living that reality in our own life? Have we walked out of our own prison cells in our own personal lives? Are our testimonies examples to the world that there is a new king and it's not the gods of the world, but it's Jesus? I pray that we all take a moment and reflect upon this deep conviction of loyalty and faithfulness towards God that Paul had and pray to ask God how we ourselves can live out this faithfulness in our own lives. Well, we're going to see how all of this turns out for Paul and where this new revelation will lead him in our next episode. So until then, I pray you have a great day and we'll see you next week.
Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mcarrollnow. Have a great day. Until next time.